1: Chelsea reporter Scott Trotter, Matt Davis who hosts the Nottingham Forest podcast at Garibaldi and Matt Kendrick who hosts the Claret Blue podcast uh, on Austin Villa It's been a frantic winner for Forest who've registered close to 20 new sign-ins on their return to the Premier League and we'll discuss the impact of those deals with Matt Chelsea under new ownership have spent big money to replace some big name players who have left and Scott will tell us exactly how those new sign-ins are shaping up. Meanwhile, things are going badly for Steven and Jared at Villa winless in the Premier League and with no end to their bad run in sight as well as all that, we'll talk about the biggest deals in the Premier League at Man United, Newcastle and elsewhere. There's also the small matter of the superhuman form of Erling Haaland, who looks set to smash every goal-scoring record in the book. Gentlemen, we'll begin. It's the final day of the uh, summer transfer window. McKendrick, first of all, which clubs do you think are looking strongest in the Premier League uh, after that summer of activity? Fren- frenetic activity in the window.
0: I'm giving you. I'm glad you've um you've kicked off with me and given me the kind of open goal tapping really because you've <coughs> you've already already mentioned the machine that is Erling Haaland uh, and with my Villa hat on which we'll come to later you know we're quaking in our boots the prospect of facing Manchester City without Erling Haaland would would be enough of a enough of a, a bind for us given that we blew a, a two goal lead down there to hand them up there to hand them the title on the last day of last season but they just seem to have cranked up another level. Um, and you know, I saw Danny Murphy. I think it was on on Talksport a week or so ago, or in the last weeks, doubting whether Haaland could um, break the the record for for goals in a in a 38 game Premier League season, which I think is he's, he's held by Mo Salah. I think, um, <laughs> I think he might have broken it by Christmas at this rate. So obviously, Haaland, um, Alvarez as well. You know, some of the his finishes from 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 last night really fresh in the memory. I just think, you know, I know that we'll come, we'll come to Chelsea with with Scott, and I know that Arsenal think that they're going to mount a title challenge this year, uh, and Liverpool hope that they'll recover from a slightly sticky start to to roll back. But I just, I can see Man United absolutely kind of Man United, Man City absolutely walking away with it this year, and it's it's a frightening prospect for for the rest of us.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um... I know we will get on to Haaland. Maybe we're as well off talking about Haaland just now because I was doing a little bit of research this morning and Erling Haaland has scored more Premier League goals in his last five games than Shane Long did in his last four Premier League seasons. It was uh, 76 matches it took him to score eight, I think. So, And he's already ahead of the likes of Shevchenko for Premier League goals and, and Fernando Morientes. So he is absolutely superhuman um, and I don't see any way in which he's not going to score at least sort of... 40 Premier League goals this season unless he stays fit I mean the numbers are absolutely ridiculous um, what do you think guys Matt uh, you were on the receiving end of this uh, uh, this last night um, what do you think about Haaland uh, the type of striker that, that he is and, and what he could do to to the Premier League
2: yeah, yeah we won't be the only ones on the receiving end of a, a Haaland's hat trick perhaps this season He's just got everything, hasn't he? I mean, if he, he's got pace, he's got movement, he can finish all different kinds of chances. The only slight weakness that is, and I think Matt might, Kendrick might benefit from it the weekend, he might have to be rested every now and then. Guardiola said that, so that could be good for Villa. He, although if he comes off the bench for 20 minutes, he can still do a lot of damage. Yeah, I think he can score a goal a game on average, can't he? There's not really any kind of defender you think could match up particularly well against him, apart from Van Dyke, maybe, if he's really on his game they just look an exceptional side city. They're an absolute machine and they just smell, smell blood and jump on any kind of weakness. Obviously we might come on to forest. You know, they showed some weaknesses last night and city are absolutely relentless. They are just a fantastic team and Harland's kind of the icing on a cake that didn't particularly need it in a way
1: yeah it's been you know they haven't really had a, a number nine like that in, in in a few years obviously Jesus is gone they didn't really play him there um, you had Sergio Aguero but even Aguero didn't take to the to the Premier League with this kind of relish and um, it's been an absolutely stunning start and like you say if, if there was one team that didn't need that added advantage of probably the best number nine in the world you would say there was it was Pep Guardiola's uh, Manchester City, Scott. Well, I want to bring you in now. Um, from Chelsea's perspective, it's been a, it's been a strange week for Chelsea. You know, big money signings coming in the door, losing away to Southampton. Um, you know that sort of inconsistency that's that's plagued them really since since the Abramovich uh, sale was announced is is still apparent there. Uh, how do you survey the rest of the Premier League in terms of what Chelsea have got compared to what everybody else has got, and and maybe how would that affect your I suppose your prognostications on how Chelsea might match up against the top teams in the league?
3: Yeah, I think I think it's difficult for Chelsea at the moment. Manchester City obviously as we've kind of just noted they're looking as strong as ever and the last couple of seasons kind of I guess Chelsea's ambition has been to close the gap to the likes of City and Liverpool and despite kind of having spent more than 200 million with the prospect of perhaps more it's it's not looking likely at the moment. Um with regard to the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham who I guess are going to be the main challenges for those top four spots I think. I think they're obviously starting well and looking strong, but that kind of game against Tottenham um, in the second week of the season, Chelsea looked really strong. And I think that'll give a lot of people confidence that Chelsea can still compete despite these slip-ups against Leeds and Southampton. I think what Chelsea are going to have is is they're going to have a lot of depth, um, obviously signing Fafana and not having already signed Kula Bali and having Thiago Silva there. It's just kind of a weird year of transition while also having to compete for them. Um, and, and that transition feels like it's came in multiple positions in one go this year. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of concern at the moment, particularly about the midfield. And it's, it's, I think it's Chelsea's perhaps lost twice in the first five games for only the second time in about 20 years I think so there are going to be concerns there Um, but there is a lot of quality in the team as well so I think it's early doors when you kind of look at the likes of Liverpool as well how they've started and I guess that old saying of perhaps it's not worth looking at the league table until 10 games in but um, certainly Chelsea are under pressure compared to what they were last season where they didn't play particularly well and were top until November or something like that
1: Yeah, we we'll get on to Chelsea in a little bit more detail uh, shortly. But the first um, in-depth look at at one of the sides that we're covering uh, here today, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Forest. Um, a lot of your general Premier League fans m- might not have known very much about the Forest squad uh, when they came up. Indeed, a lot of the Nottingham Forest fans might not know very much about the squad uh, at this stage of the season, considering it looks entirely different. Uh, Matt, can you give us? Um, maybe an outline on, on how things are shaping up there. Um, a lot of players, a lot of new players in there. Do um, you trust Cooper with, with how things are going at the moment? Um, there seems to be a little bit identityless, and, you know, um, I wonder about Forrest. I'll put it that way. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. 100% trust Cooper. Um, Fantastic manager. He's done unbelievable things. You know, this time last year, literally, Forest were bottom of the championship. So to be where they are now, even on the back of 6-0, hiding from Man City, is still incredible progress. I think the thing that Forest fans would say and Cooper and the football club would say is the team that got promoted was decimated. They had five players on loan. The captain Lewis Graben left and two or three others left, including the goalkeeper. So they had to do a lot of business. I don't think any of expected it to be this much business and maybe this much money. But I think it's just this show us how big the scale of the challenge is. I mean, Michael can talk about, you know, he'll know about how Aston Villa spent a load of money when they got up and still only just stayed up by the skin of their teeth. I think yeah, unless you're going to be like Norwich and what Bournemouth might be this season, you're going to go down if you don't spend big. Obviously, the challenge now is can Forest turn it into a, a team quickly? There's been kind of contrasting signs. Obviously, Newcastle away and Man City away, it was a little bit of rabbit in headlights, but then Tottenham at home, West Ham at home, and Everton away, they were really good. So I, I think Forest fans are still very optimistic. They've got some you know, easier and inverted commas fixtures coming up now, which probably gives a better indication of where they are. I just really want to get today out of the way and hope they don't panic and sign. Four or five other players, I think that would be a big mistake and it is possible. So, just, you know, Willie Bolly's going to sign from Wolves if it hasn't been announced already. Uh, and then maybe they need a right wing back to cover Nico Williams. And if they do any more than that, uh, I would kind of question it. But I think there's a rationale behind each signing and you can make a case for all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it, it's going to be a case that they're going to have a best 11 this season? Uh, and if so, do we have any idea of what that best 11 might look like at the moment?
2: I think there's elements of a consistent 11 of players. Obviously, the goalkeeper uh, has been brilliant. Dean Henderson, Nico Williams, Renan Lodi, who's come in. The, the wing-backs and the defence are going to be pretty consistent once Moussa Niakate is fit. Uh, Joe Warren and Scott McKenna are going to be there. So that kind of, the back line is going to be consistent. I think we'll see a lot of horses for courses and rotation. They've signed... Remo Freuler from Atalanta who's a proven Champions League player in midfield so he'll come in Oral Mangala who's just in the Belgium squad but then also they've got Lewis O'Brien who's done well and Ryan Yates and Ceku Koyate so there's there's a lot of options in midfield and even more so up front they spent a lot of money on Morgan Gibbs why obviously Jesse Lingard all the headlines for his, you know, £600,000 a week wages as it came to be seen, um, which it obviously isn't. Uh, and, and then they've got, they broke their transfer record for Taiwa Wanyi and Brennan Johnson's going to be brilliant. So I think we'll see kind of horses for courses up front. I just hope they don't try and be a bit too clever and, you know, uh, rotate it all the time. And maybe we'll see a second. Uh, We'll see it settle down eventually, maybe after the world cup. I think these first 16 games are going to tell us a lot. I mean, they got Emmanuel Dennis as well. I forgot, you know, 20 million pounds and they signed a player. They have a loan to Olympiacos as well. So it has been a bit crazy, but I'm hoping it, it settles down in the next few months
1: what do you think their best signing has been for me i would say from an outsider's perspective obviously cooper working with gibbs white before and i always thought that he had a a really good ceiling a really high ceiling gibbs white so for me i think that would have been the most notable deal if they can keep him fit and and get him playing consistently i like gibbs white What, what about you from uh you know from the insider's perspective what which deals have caught your eye uh
2: well keeping brennan johnson signing a new contract i know it's not a new signing but he only had a year left uh, he's going to be a sensation, I think, over time. So that's the main one. Uh, Dean Henderson. I think you need a good goalie. Uh, he's already saved two penalties. And then the other one, um probably Froehler. I don't think he's going to get a lot of headlines. He's—they call him the conductor. I hope that's not just a gimmick, and he actually can deliver that and keep things ticking over in midfield and maintain the ball. Obviously, he didn't last night, but no one's going to. Uh, Maybe it's just yeah. Yeah, he might do, he might do. I think those are the ones. But yeah, you're right about Gibbs why he's got that relationship with with Cooper. A lot's been made of the fee, but there is that premium. If, uh, if he delivers 10 goals and five assists or whatever it is, then then it's money well spent.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's no logic to the fees really at the moment. It seems that once a Premier League club comes in for a player, you know, you're looking at an extra 10, 15 mil. And then once the top four, top four, top six team comes in, you're looking at another 20, 25 mil. Then when Man United comes in, you're looking probably at another 40, 50 mil, uh, as we saw with uh, with the deals for Casemiro and Anthony, which which to me seem uh, completely outlandish. We'll get on to those. Um, Scott, if you don't mind, um, I want to come to you next uh, uh, a little bit about Chelsea. Um, the Fofana deal... A bit of a calculated gamble you think from from thomas tuchel um considering his 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 his, um his fitness trouble that he's had at leicester over the past maybe 18 months or so Uh, how is this one being received at the bridge
3: yeah i I think pretty well um obviously it's significant but it's kind of with a look to the future as well given his age and obviously hasn't been on the pitch a great deal in the premier league but when he has been he's looked very very good um I think I think a lot of it is probably to do with the prospect of Thiago Silva, his contract expiring at the end of next season once again. Um just to have that kind of long-term stability there w- would would be good. Um there's not been a great deal mentioned kind of on the socials from the Chelsea fans about Fafana's injury record. I think that, that would be a little bit of a concern for Mike because he's not often kind of hit more than 15 games in a season so far, I think. But yeah, it, it should be a, a big deal for Chelsea, especially because when you look at Asper Leclerc, Koulibaly, Thiago Silva, that, that's a back line that's all over 30. Um, and Tuchel spoke, I think it was after the Everton game, that, that having some youth and some pace in there was something they really wanted to do. And I think given everything that was said about it possibly being a world record fee for a defender, that kind of extra weight and, I guess, perhaps the work done by Fafana himself kind of within the walls of Leicester to see it kind of closer to that 70 million mark with the add-ons as well is, is kind of a nice little perk for the deal coming so late.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I wonder about Chelsea a little bit because obviously they lost Christensen, they lost Rudiger. I mean, they've let Werner and, and Lukaku go really without extracting any sort of uh, goal-scoring value from those either. I think they're kind of plugging gaps this summer, you know, kind of maybe just, just about making up for mistakes that they've made uh, in, in other windows. I don't really see Chelsea being, you know, any stronger now than they were, maybe at the end of last season, personnel-wise.
3: Yeah, I think it became quite apparent even early last season that this summer was going to be one where they kind of started behind where they were at um, like 12 months ago. Um, it, it's a, a difficult one in terms of they've spent more than £200 million, pounds, so, so did the expectations come quite quickly because of that, that sheer value, uh, particularly if they do end up making more signs today. But yeah, it, it's difficult to see how they can kind of play catch-up on the very top sides and also kind of lose figures like that. I think is a big one just because of how much of a leader he was with the team as well. By all accounts, Kula Bali's kind of started kind of fulfilling that role and it does appear a leader in the dressing room as well. But it's, as you say getting back to where they were last season first and then seeing what can be built upon from there. I think we are seeing a bit more kind of depth provided in the squad or like Kukurea coming in and obviously Chilwell's the other option at that wing back. Few clubs can kind of boast that kind of quality. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see where Chelsea are in sort of six weeks' time because now it kind of feels like a pre-season still in, in some respects.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I made a prediction on this show a few weeks ago that I thought Tuchel would have been uh, maybe one of the first managers to end up leaving this season. I, I just I just get the sense that maybe it's gone a little bit stale. Speaking of uh, managers who might be getting sacked and things going a little bit stale, Matt, um, if we could bring maybe Aston Villa in here, um, Stephen Chair, I mean, I said at the top of the show they were winless, but I actually forgot they did win one game. So I think what they've lost four and won one at the start of this this Premier yeah. League season. Um, probably scored more goals direct from corners than from open play uh, <laughs> at this stage as well. Uh, can we talk a little bit about about what's going on at Villa? Um, how big, how significant was the departure of maybe Michael Beale, for example, behind the scenes? Uh, you know, um, what are the prospects for this team at the moment?
0: interesting you know it's a bit like when we when you look to the bench for the players that aren't playing the the solutions are always there aren't they the ones in the team and now we're looking to Michael Beale for you know now he's not here for for the solutions you know is that a
1: talking point from among among yeah I think
0: think, you know he's gone out on his own at QPR and, and, and started to to, to make kind of decent decent progress there, so people are are automatically looking. You know, was he the, the brains behind the operation? Um, what I would say was that we probably had the, the, this run of form, although not quite as bleak last season, does predate the first five games of the season. You know, after Gerard Gerard's initial Gerard and Beale's initial honeymoon period uh, when they came in and did their job straight away. To be honest, got Villa away from that relegation zone and, and consolidated. It was a bit flaky from from then on in. So <laughs> I don't I don't subscribe to the the fact that Michael Beale was completely the the Messiah. But Villa are still struggling. We we use the word identity a lot, don't we? And and Villa are still struggling. And Gerald is still struggling to decide what the identity of Aston Villa is. We we don't really know. Considering the, the the attacking talent that he's blessed with, we don't really know what his game plan is to really hurt. Hurt teams, uh, and the fact that we are nine months into his reign now, and for all intents and purposes, yes, he's added bit sprinklings of quality around the edges, but he's had a long time to work with this group and to try and get a tune out of them, and we don't seem we don't seem any nearer to it. And I think one of one of the things that Gerard is suffering from now, um, as well as the the lack of cohesion on the pitch, he doesn't seem to have the kind of rapport with the Villa fans there's been a lot made from, from the last couple of defeats um, against West Ham at Villa Park on on Sunday and at the Emirates uh, against Arsenal last night that Gerrard just disappeared straight down the tunnel at the end of the game. There wasn't even a kind of hand of apology or a, or a wave of acknowledgement or a, a sheepish kind of applause to, to the away end. And I think given the man that he followed... In Dean Smith, who, who was Mr. Aston Villa, Brummie, Villa fan, Boyard Villa fan, swept the terraces as a kid and all this kind of stuff and came not only as the man who saved Villa, but who did it kind of with this one of our own vibe. When Gerard's form on the pitch is matching the end of Dean, Dean Smith's era, Dean Smith had credit in the bank for what he'd done and who he was. Steven Gerrard doesn't really have that. With the Aston Villa fans. Um, so it's <laughs> I'm conscious of a very long-winded answer, but it's got to the stage where we're already seeing Gerard reach to the kind of under pressure manager's handbook, you know, yeah, I believe in myself, I believe in this group and all this kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know what you don't expect to you don't expect to have have that kind of vibe five games into into a season, especially when you know, at the back end of last season, We'd signed Kamara. Um, Virtually, I don't think the final ball of the season had been kicked or only just been kicked when, when we signed Kamara who comes with a, with a great pedigree, Diego Carlos as well. Obviously we know Carlos suffered a a really severe injury, which has not done our cause, any hook, Villa's cause, any help whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't know how it's. I don't know how it's turned so bleak so quickly. It's, it's. It's very Aston Villa, to be honest. Always, always tease the fans that they're on the brink of something, and then, you know, pull the rug before we get there
1: mm-hmm yeah um certainly is strange and, and it's interesting you mentioned that you know that the fans are still uh no further on of discovering how, how it is uh jared wants to set his team up you know the they do seems to be going uh from game to game i actually thought they were best was it in the everton game earlier on this this season where they were you know sort of withdrawn into their own half and then hitting the channels um into those wide open spaces, but you can't rely on being a, if you've got any sort of, I suppose, European ambitions based on the amount of money that's spent, you can't really rely on being a counter-attacking team forever, can you?
0: You can't. I mean, to be fair, the, the last time we were, we were knocking on that door with, with Martin O'Neill talking more than 10 years ago now, that, that tended to be quite a regular tactic in terms of springing people on the break with the pace of, um, you know, the pace of a and Ashley Young, and then you got got big John Carew who was feeding off them as well. So I don't think Villa fans would mind that as long as, as, long as there was something, some discernible style and game plan and tactic that we could actually think, oh, yes, I understand it. But it's this, I don't know, that the big criticism that you'll get of Villa at the moment is how narrow they are kind of playing a, a standard back four rather than a rather than a five or a three but you you your full backs your wing backs are being asked to provide all your attacking width um, and it, it it's leaving it, it's giving them a lot to do it's giving um Luca Dean and, and, and matty cash a lot to do but he's also leaving, leaving um you know it's leaving Villa Villa vulnerable when they are caught further up the pitch and he's just thinking you know, Gerrard's a, a, a rookie coach, and yes, he's he's had a successful spell at Rangers, but the Premier League is a really, really unforgiving place to to learn your trade, um, and he's finding finding that quickly. And you know, I don't don't want to be a, a massive doom monger here, but I have very little faith in him to to get it right and. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not the kind of silent minority. I'm part, part of an increasing number of Villa fans now who are wondering, you know, what's the end game and, and how quickly is it going to arrive for, for Steven Gerrard?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the rare bright spots for, for Bournemouth this season, uh, Matt, Matt Davis I'm going to bring back in here, one of the, the rare bright spots for, for Bournemouth this season was actually a, a victory uh, against Aston Villa um, but that wasn't enough to save Scott Parker and obviously Forrest uh, will play against Bournemouth um, very soon, Saturday afternoon and what are your thoughts going into that one um, and what are your thoughts of the fate that, that Scott Parker has met
2: well, obviously he's unfortunate. If you look at the results, they've they beat Villa, uh, and then they've drawn with Wolves. They're kind of, you know, those are decent results. And then they've lost the games you expect them to lose. Mm-hmm. I'm not the first person Parker has sort of talked himself out of a job by saying nothing wrong, but perhaps saying it in the wrong way about needing more transfers and needing more players. Which well, ironically, to... they're they're a
1: yeah. championship side. Let's be honest, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it's true, definitely. I mean, I think that's a fault of Gerrard's as well, that he keeps hanging his own players out to dry, but Parker's done it in a different way when he's got more justification. And now, yeah, Saturday I'm really worried about Forrest Bournemouth because Bournemouth are a more physical side. Uh, I like Kiefer more, and they might have their tails up a little bit. It's a big test for Forest. Luckily, it's at home and I think the, the Forest crowd can make a big difference. It feels like a bit of a big moment for both sides. If Forest can get a win, it pushes them on. If Bournemouth get a win, it renews some belief they they're not going to be as bad as everyone thinks. So, yeah, it's a really important game on Saturday.
1: Mm-hmm. And you would say, I think, you know, certainly for Forrest, whatever happens at home is is probably going to define the season because we, we have seen a couple of write-offs away from home already.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll rue a really poor goal conceded at Everton that would have given them a, a precious win. But... The City Ground crowd have been talked up a lot, and rightly so. The atmosphere I've been to, I went to the West Ham game, it was incredible. And it, David Moyes mentioned it post match, and I think it does make a difference. It lifted them against Spurs, and I thought they played really well in that game. But yeah, you're right, they're, they're facing beside at home in in games against teams like Bournemouth, uh, a Fulham, who have started well. Everton uh, yeah, there's a, I think there's a clutch of teams in the league that probably now does include Villa and Leicester, a teams you can get at and these are the games that Forest are going to have to win.
1: Mm-hmm. Indeed they are. Uh, Scott, if you don't mind I want to bring you back here and we're going to move uh to a different club. If you don't mind talking about a little bit about Manchester United and, and what they've done. Um you've spoken about Chelsea's need of bringing in a midfielder um and we know that they have um been linked on deadline day with, with um with a few deals here and there. But Man United got one over the line, maybe overpaid for him a little bit in Casemiro. They've also brought in another Brazil international uh, in the shape of Anthony, who seems to fit the the profile of the type of player that Chelsea were looking for earlier on in the summer. I'm thinking about the likes of Rafinha, who ended up going to Barcelona. Are you looking at Old Trafford with with any sort of jealousy uh, in terms of the two deals that they've done over the last seven days?
3: Um, I don't think it's reached that stage quite yet, just because of the kind of... Chaos it's around Manchester like, United at the yeah. minute. <laughs> and like you say, the expense once again. Um, I think everything with Manchester United at the minute, even when you kind of see a player like Casemiro, or who like very good players, you kind of have aspersions of doubts and what kind of, again, chaos could, could occur this season because of it, it's kind of more personalities and obviously kind of... overwhelming shadow of Cristiano Ronaldo that kind of still remains there despite by all accounts his inclination to leave Um, I think that that game against Liverpool is probably the most kind of reassuring thing a Man United fan could probably have at the moment that they they can still compete and kind of Ten Hag does have perhaps a philosophy and kind of something to build upon this season But with all that said, we saw how much money they spent last season, perhaps a bit more uh, incoherently. um, And they came off finishing second then and it kind of all went wrong. And I think if they can consolidate and kind of challenge for a European place at all, it kind of seems a big change from where we were four weeks ago with them. and I do think kind of Premier League teams are going to be worrying about your kind of Arsenal's and Tottenham's before you start of mm-hmm. considering Manchester United? I think that kind of backline narrative that they've got at the minute with the likes of uh, Harry Maguire and obviously Martinez coming into it, and obviously his height get gets mentioned every other day. Um, if they can kind of get through the the first period of the season up until the World Cup and kind of prove there's something about them, perhaps you then start to think oh, what, what can they do? But there's just so much kind of drama and obviously you've got the the supporter kind of uh, dismay with the Glazers at the same time. There's there's a lot that can still go wrong there and uh, they've got pretty good at things getting wrong in recent seasons, I think.
1: Yeah, they're not out of the woods yet, but you would say from, from beating Liverpool, signing Casabiro and signing Anthony, it's been a pretty good uh, 10 days for Manchester United fans. And I do think that that Anthony deal would probably end up... Well, it looks like it's going to be the landmark deal of the window uh, in the Premier League, certainly in terms of finance, maybe not in terms of impact, because we mentioned uh, Haaland uh, before. Uh, Matt Deere, is is Anthony the type of player that you've seen much of uh, playing in the Champions League for Ajax? Um, you know, what, what do you make of the fact that Man United are having to pay probably two years' worth of revenue to Ajax? Um, I'm talking about Ajax's revenue in order to secure a player uh, uh, who's, who's a good player, but let's face it, he's, he's not yet a world-beater. Um,
2: what do you think of this deal? Well, yeah, you don't want to write off the Dutch league too much. He hasn't torn it up too much, but he's obviously a very exciting player. And I think he's a player that Ten Hag knows well, and he probably is someone he wants around him. So I think it's a good deal uh, in the long term, the short term, the fees pretty massive. So yeah, like Scott said, United are so much in chaos. It's a difficult environment for him to come into, isn't it? So, I'm not sure it's another one where you want them to get through today and see where they're at I mean I think it'd be good for them to get Ronaldo out personally and then they can take stock and they know what their forward line is and then they have to decide who's the one man who who misses out but I wouldn't bank on Anthony hitting the ground running particularly I think if you get 12 goals or something last season so Ajax. I mean Ajax has sold a lot of players this summer they've got some amazing fees for them they obviously know how to drive a hard bargain I think it's probably one where in the long term, both clubs might think they've done well. But in the short term, I think it's a bit of give the lad a bit of time and patience, which isn't a virtue at, at Old Trafford at the moment, understandably.
1: No, definitely not. Um, Scott, speaking of Ajax, it, it was Edson Alvarez who was linked last night to uh, to Chelsea. Is, it, is that a gore, do you think, at this stage of the window?
3: Well, it it kind of depends on Ajax. I think Chelsea have put a bid in in the region of sort of 40 million for him last night. And it's obviously something they're looking to get over the line. But I think the Eredivisie window shut yesterday. So the opportunity of getting a replacement then is kind of non-existent Mm -hmm. and kind of looking at the kind of Dutch media and fans that we've seen. um, It it sounds like he's pretty key for them and kind of enabled a lot of their player last year in terms of what could happen around him because of the role he fulfilled um yeah so so it's in Ajax's court and I think that Anthony deal probably puts them in a bit of position of strength because they have already had so much money coming in um but yeah Chelsea have been willing to pay this summer and we obviously saw with Kukarea who would have thought he would have went for 60 odd million pounds um so I think there's still something to play for there but it'll probably be in whether Chelsea are willing to foot up quite a substantial fee
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Matt Kay, Uh, another another holding midfield player who seems to have been in the news for for transfers is is uh, is Douglas Louis with some scores his, his corner again last night. But Gerard's comments on on Wednesday night following the Arsenal game were slightly concerning from a Villa fans perspective.
0: Yeah, it's um again, it's probably this like I said about the kind of under pressure manager's handbook. It was very 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 weird and very very disconcerting to hear Gerard refer. I think the quote was something like you know. You know what's good for for the club might not be what's good for me, and you think well, you're the manager of this club; they should be one one and the same. Um, it's an interesting one, Douglas Louise, because I think he's probably unsung hero might be a little bit might might be, might be overplaying it a little bit, but I think sometimes the value that he brings can be overlooked. A little bit, uh, because he can be quite, quite no frills. I'd hate to, I'd hate to lose him. I'd cer- certainly hate to lose him for, for nothing, um, in you know, in a, in a year's time. So I think it's it's important that 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 something. So this is sound the obvious, but decisive action. Need, needs to be taken because I think Villa have an asset there. I think they've got an asset there that they can use in their own first team but at the very least they've got an asset there that they they need to try and convince to 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 get tied down to a contract so we can we can protect what we've got. For some reason and mean this is, this is this is one of the the, the frustrating things given the given the, the that Gerard would you know can lay claim to being arguably one of the best or you know the best Premier League Premier League midfielder. He just doesn't seem to have have got, got a grip with 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 that department at the moment. Um, and I said on our and Blue podcast last night um that Villa's performance at Arsenal last night it probably was. You know, again, it's me looking to the bench to to see what you know find your fixes there that haven't been picked. But he probably needed somebody like Louise who could bring a little bit of calm and control on it. When that performance, in my mind, epitomised a little bit more John McGinn, where yes, Peter Villa were chasing, running, were tackling hard, but what were they actually trying to do to kind of to 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 bring their own own style to that game? And I, I do think that possibly. I think we possibly could 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 lose Douglas Louise because of the because of the situation we find find ourselves in at the moment. Douglas Louise is going to look and think, well, I'm not first choice in a midfield and in a team that clearly is in a state of chaos. <laughs> I might as well I might as well take my chances and move somewhere else. Even if I've got to move somewhere else and be a squad player. Uh, at least there could be a squad player in, in a team that's got a coherent plan. So I do I do worry. Um, the, the the mood music from Villa last night, despite what Gerard said, was that Aston Villa are, are you know will not be will not be letting Douglas Luiz go go today. I hope that is the case. I do think there's, there's an asset there that that given the right love and played in the right way can be of value to Villa going forwards.
1: And if worse comes to worse, is this the type of player that could take the step up into into a Champions League club?
0: <laughs> you know I think so. I'm not saying he's going to he could walk straight into a top four or a top six team, but I think there's there's certainly enough attributes there for him to, you know, like i said be 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 a decent kind of squad player uh, at a top five or six club. Um, you know he he came he came with a with a very good pedigree. Uh, when when we signed him from from Manchester City, I don't think Guardiola really wanted him to go uh, uh, at that time. I think Guardiola would have been happy for him to, to stay along and develop there. So I do think if, if Villa lose Douglas Luiz, it'll be very much be Villa's loss and and somebody else's gain because I think he'll go on to become a very good Premier League player.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Um. I just wanted to 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 wrap up maybe some of the other deals that we've seen along the window. Um. One player who made a a, a fantastic impact on his debut last night uh, for Newcastle was Alexander Isak. Um. Matt, if you don't mind, Matt D, if you don't mind me coming to you again. Um. You've been away to to Newcastle already this season. Uh. Based on on what you've seen, uh, that Newcastle had had then, is is Isak the type of player that they've been missing? Do you think this is going to be a good deal for them?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, they've got Callum Wilson, who I think is a great player, but he can't stay fit, can he? And then you take Callum Mm -hmm. Wilson out of the team, they're they're nowhere near as good. So they obviously did need to bring someone in, and Isak's kind of one of those players that's been on the radar for years of people talking about him. Five or six years, he's only 22. And Newcastle kind of landed their top target. So I think the thing about Newcastle is... They've spent a lot of money. It's kind of gone under the radar how much they've spent. It's over 200 million now. It's the kind of deals that they've done that you think are good deals with Guimara's coming in and Sven Botman and that that kind of, they haven't gone out and signed, uh, you know, the glamour names particularly. They've made some smart signings. And I think Isak kind of feels like he fits that profile of another smart signing that can take them to another level to be where, I know I keep coming back to Villa, but to be where Villa want to be in the top Top eight pushing up and looking up. It feels like they they've got the coherent plan that other clubs haven't got at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, maybe the type of player that I mean is he a step beneath Chelsea? I know that Chelsea have been uh, trying to trying to sort out that that striking position. I don't think they've got it right at all, really. Since um, since Tuchel <laughs> went in there, whether that be Havertz, Ferner, Lukaku. Uh, Brogia it's always looked kind of an awkward fit for this manager is he the type of player that Chelsea could have done with and what's the overall situation around the, the number nine slot uh, at Chelsea at the moment
3: yeah he's actually a bit of an interesting one because obviously I think last summer he was linked to so many clubs and perhaps the likes of the Arsenal and those kind of teams and then I think uh, Sociedad last season he perhaps played a little bit um, deeper than that kind of number nine role and didn't score as many goals and perhaps lost the kind of big number nine interest that he had coming from Euro 2020 and, and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting because Chelsea, I guess this summer in some respects haven't seemed like they, they've wanted uh, a number nine in the, in the mold of like a Romelu Lukaku after how that didn't work out last season. And we've like kind of seen this attempt to get Mason Mount habits and Raheem and form in a, a more aggressively pressing front three. And as you say, it's not quite kind of came together for Chelsea in an attacking sense so far this season and that's been an issue over the last couple of years although sterling has scored a few goals this season now um i guess the the attacker name that we're still seeing kind of coming into the last hours of the window is pierre Emmerich Obamayang. obviously he had that kind of sad incident at the um was it at the weekend where he's kind of su- suffered a, a jaw injury after an assault and that is still the name we're hearing and i is if that is a short-term deal um, I guess that's the kind of player you want to see. I think next summer there's still talks of the Christopher and Kunku and that kind of play. Um But yeah, it's tricky to see Chelsea kind of going with that traditional number nine unless an young comes in. But even then, obviously he can kind of rotate through those forward three positions. And I guess in many respects, it's hard not to think back to last summer when they were linked to Erling Haaland so robustly. And with that opportunity to perhaps take him a year early before that release close came and Manchester City were obviously always going to be favourites in that instance. Um, I think it was going to be an astronomical feat to take them so early uh, from Dortmund and they obviously wouldn't want to let go. And Lukaku seemed like a great deal at the time if he could have come and turned it on. Um, but yeah, it would be nice for Chelsea, I think, just to have a player if who they can rely on to kind of roll the sleeves up and just take again by the scruff of the neck, whether it be through kind of a potency in front of goal or or a midfielder who can just kind of, you know, drive something in the middle of a poor performance. Um with all that said, still still and we've seen his missed chances, which obviously everybody kind of talks about, but he is kind of shown the ability to get in the right position and, and score a tap in for them as well. And that in itself is something Chelsea has missed um Lukaku last year just Struggled to get touches in a game at all, never mind kind of around the six yard box. So th- there is some promise there, but um, people are calling for Amanda Broya to, to get a shot, particularly this weekend after he came on and added a bit of energy. So if a striker was to come in, uh, Bamiyang or otherwise, I think there'll be a lot of happy Chelsea supporters. Uh, come tonight
1: yeah London Derby again this weekend um I've been interested in West Ham um this uh, this summer I think they've made some astute signings. ins I don't know whether they're all going to gel and I don't know whether Moyes is the manager for them but certainly players like Skamaka who I really like um who was up there I think with Vlaovic in in the um in Serie A last season I think Paqueta, who, who was at AC Milan and they've subsequently brought in uh from Lyon for another club record fee a lot, a lot of club record fees going around the Premier League um, this summer. In the course of your research for this game over uh, over the weekend, what have you made about these signings? The, the likes of Paquetá and and, and Are You impressed with West Ham's business, Scott?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think I am. Um, I think the only kind of criticism, and that it happens often with the Premier League clubs, is perhaps it's, it's been a little bit ponderous, and obviously they've had that slow start and not been able to build the momentum that they would have liked to after another strong season last year. Um, I I think it's one of those, again, you kind of go back to what you know, and it's hard to look past like the likes of a Jared Bowen as a threat. But Chelsea have kind of looked a little bit vulnerable with teams who are willing to be a bit aggressive and uh, and kind of aren't afraid to sort of have kind of more quality in in those advanced positions should should test Chelsea this weekend if, if those players can get on. Um, I think obviously Emerson Palmieri went from Chelsea to West Ham as well so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of line up with him um, I, th- I think it's probably going to be two teams that who are kind of still figuring things out a little bit whether it be with new players or otherwise and I think Chelsea will still see this as an opportunity for three points um, after a difficult period um, but the, the pressure will really be on and kind of David Moyes and West Ham are the team to kind of come and spoil the party as they've kind of shown for the likes of Manchester United in the last two seasons in terms of league position and uh, they are a very good side as well so it should be a good game this weekend I think um, albeit one that might be a bit tense at Stamford Bridge
1: Tense at Stamford Bridge okay uh, guys thanks very much for joining us on this transfer deadline day um, I know you've got reporting to do and, and deals to report on for the for the next few hours um, so that's Matt Davis from Nottingham Forest Matt Kendrick Aston Villa and Scott Trotter from Chelsea uh, thanks very much for joining us guys do try and find this um, on all the socials that you can and uh, make sure that you tune into Football Digest every week thanks everyone